This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to the Daily Digest on the Bigger Picture this Friday afternoon. I'm T. Shao Ik and with me in the studio, Lim Su And Today we are marking Rare Disease Day a little bit earlier because Rare Disease Day actually falls on Sunday, the 28th of February. But of course, um, for us uh, in, in this working week, uh, we'd like to talk a little bit about it today. So there are more than 7,000 types of rare diseases. Um, but uh, while that may seem like a large number... Um, each of them affects only a small percentage of the world's population. But the people who are affected often face life-threatening and chronic conditions. On top of that, there are virtually no cures for rare diseases and the majority of them don't even have effective treatments. So with the number of these diseases growing and being diagnosed, we want to look at how public policy measures and funding can better help the rare disease community and how it might increase access to treatment. And uh, on our uh, Twitter page today, we are asking you, what do you think is uh, most needed to help the rare disease community? So your options are more funding, more awareness or community support. And you can take that poll on Twitter at BFM Radio. You can tweet us your thoughts there as well. Or you can also WhatsApp them into us at 018-789-8899. Yes, um, and 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 I guess you know before we talk about uh, public policy, uh, the public policy side of tackling rare diseases, you know, we want to take a look at how this disease, this how these diseases are defined in the first place. Um, it's sort of like a little one hundred and one. So essentially, rare diseases, also known as orphan diseases, are named so um, precisely because they are rare. You know, like you said earlier, Shawik, they affect a small percentage of the world's population, and by the uh, the World Health Organization's estimates, around four hundred million people could be affected by rare diseases. But then, different countries have their own ways of defining them. So, for instance, in the European Union, a rare disease affects no more than 1 in 2,000 people. But here in Malaysia, uh, the Malaysian Rare Disorder Society, or MRDS, defines rare disease as one that affects less than 1 in 4,000 people. But, you know, however it's defined, one thing is clear. I mean, like was mentioned earlier, unfortunately, rare diseases can be life-threatening and chronic. Mm, it, it does seem seem like we should look uh, past the numbers and look at how they affect individuals and their families. Um, sadly, around 30% of affected patients pass away before the age of five, and uh, that's really quite tragic, um, especially for the family members. As I mentioned earlier, um, the actual collective number of rare diseases uh, stands at around over 7,000 that have been identified. And the number of uh, diseases that we're still identifying is growing. So they can actually affect anyone from all Mm. walks of life. And they're really wide-ranging, you know. Um, They include blood diseases like haemophilia. They include bone disorders like brittle bone disease. They include a whole host of genetic conditions. Really, the list goes on. Mm. Now, unfortunately, 95% of rare diseases have no form of treatment available, let alone a cure. And to clarify, uh, this is in terms of available drugs approved by the U.S. Federal Drug Administration or the U.S. FDA. So to raise awareness on rare diseases, Rare Disease Day was launched in 2008 by an NGO called Eurodis, the voice of rare disease patients in Europe, as well as its Council of National Alliances. So every year on Rare Disease Day, campaigns are launched to raise awareness among the general public, particularly among policymakers, public authorities, 
authorities, researchers and health professionals. And really all of this, I guess, noise and uh, awareness building is to ensure that, you know, improvements are made to meet the needs of people affected by rare disease, you know, whether it's access to medical treatment or on the other end of the spectrum, um, emotional and community support, which is equally important as That's well. That's right. And here in Malaysia, you know, the government has taken some steps to address the needs of the rare disease community. Um, and this includes funding for certain treatments. One example of this, this is for patients with LSD or lysosomal storage diseases. So in 2019, the then Pakatan Harapan government took a major step forward by forming a national framework for rare disease and this includes a governance committee to address the needs of the rare disease community. Uh, commit, community, sorry, and this included the education ministry as well as various other ministries um, in, involved. So the framework also kickstarted the ambitious goal of creating a registration base of rare diseases to collect and analyze data for clinical management programs. And the government had even started talks with insurance companies to see how um, individuals affected by rare diseases could get coverage. Um, under insurance. Mm, yeah, so um, like you said though, that was under the Pakatan Harapan government. Um, right now, we're under a different administration. But you know, nonetheless, organisations like IDEAS, the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, have urged the current government to explore a sustainable fund that could cover the expensive cost of orphan drugs, especially as new ones become available on the market. So um, to discuss what pol- public policy initiatives like this one proposed by ideas can do to help the rare disease community as well as what other measures are needed. Uh, we have joining us on the line today Dato Hatija Ayob, President of the Malaysian Rare Disorder Society who is also the Chair of the Rare Diseases Alliance Foundation Malaysia and joining her as well, Professor Dr. Tong Miao Kiong, Professor of Pediatrics and Consultant Clinical Geneticist at University Malaya Medical Centre and he's also Advisor to the Malaysian Rare Disorder Society. Um, thanks so much for joining us today. Now, to start with, what are the most prevalent rare diseases here in Malaysia and how many people are affected by rare diseases? Um, Prof Tong, perhaps we can start with you. Now, the definition of rare disease, uh, uh, there are many. Uh, the WHO, for example, had uh, mentioned that the rare disease is defined uh, as a condition that is uh, not prevalent or not commonly seen in the community. But there are 7,000 over rare diseases that is known. There are thousands more that are yet unknown. So even though they are individually rare, uh, collectively, they could uh, gather up to 4 to 6% of the population that had a condition that is rare. So if you extrapolate that data, a 4% uh, rate, for example, will translate into at least... 1 million over people in Malaysia alone with a rare condition, all right? Now, some of these uh, rare conditions are well-known. For, for example, uh, there's a group of conditions called chromosome, chromosomal disorders. The, of course, the most common one everyone knows is Down syndrome, but they are fairly common. So the definition of common and rare is also important because uh, in the European Union, it's been taken as uh, one in 2,000. So if you have a condition that is much more rare than one in 2,000, you'll be qualified uh, to be called a rare condition. So Down syndrome, for example, is one in 700. So it's not rare enough okay, to be called a rare condition. So it has a very specific definition. But in Malaysia, uh, only recently that 
the, the adoption of the uh, definition has been made. So we are very fortunate, you know, finally we had some kind of definition and that is to use one in 4,000. And that has been a very useful sort of cutoff. Now, what are some of the most common other conditions that you can think of besides chromosomal conditions? Uh, what we call single gene diseases. So to just name a few, things like brittle bone disease, uh, Marfan syndrome, Prader-Willi syndrome, lysosomal storage diseases, and so on and so forth. So it's a huge list of uh, these rare conditions. So following up on that, what are the challenges when it comes to developing effective treatments and are patients able to access these treatments easily? Now, rare disease has been in the past been neglected. So they have many names for it. Uh, one of the uh, names that we use was called orphan disease. Uh, orphan, as you know, means a child without parents. Uh, and, and it has a, a meaning behind it because basically the pharmaceutical industry has a dilemma because they want to help, but at the same time, they need to turn a profit. So when it comes to rare diseases, it just does not make commercial benefit for them in a sense that they may not generate uh, sufficient uh, income from the sales of the product when it's made due to the low numbers or very few number of patients, whereas the cost of the production uh, the invention as well as the development and the clinical trials of the drug are hugely expensive. So they would not be able to recuperate some of the costs they had incurred. And hence, the drugs that produced are usually more for the more common type of rare diseases. And also, uh, if they are for the rare types, they have to charge a huge amount of uh, cost or uh, money for the drug to be uh, produced. So uh, it's a difficult situation. So, uh, Datuk Hatija, are there a lot of uh, organisations involved in helping Malaysians with rare diseases and uh, what have been their main priorities? Currently, uh, MRDS is one, the Remission Rare Disorder Society is one of the society and under this uh, umbrella of MRDS, we have about 200 over patients with about 80 types of disorders. But besides that, there are another about 11 other societies that are registered as per their disorders. When we first started, it was firstly to give awareness, to help social support, emotional support. And then, but as we move along, we realized that when we first started in the year 2004, there was no information no, no, that we can help. So eventually we helped with coming up with printing of brochures and uh, we hold a lot of activities, awareness program, uh, giving talks, giving exhibitions and all sort of thing. And we even had conference, two conferences held. And by then we have been able to generate more because some of them do, do not know they have uh, access to help, other help, and they have all these uh, issues of m multiple disabilities, like one instance, they don't know where to go. At least with, with us, society, we have a place we can help them to move, with, uh, grow up with our societies to su with support from our members. We help with their other needs, yeah, and how to get their uh, benefits, how to get their other follow up on 
So those who need education, those who need uh, uh, the OKU card, because with the with the uh, disability, most of them have disabilities. So we help them, and as they we grow and the youth, we have the youth to look after, provide them with employment things, activities to do. They need to go to to support themselves also uh, in the future, and then we have caregivers. So we arrange. Um, different stages, different uh, uh, different type of help. You know, getting the policy right. You know, trying to get from the Jabatan Kebajikan, all that sort of thing. Getting schools, uh, all that needs help besides getting treatment. So, what sort of challenges have societies like MRDS face, uh, that in helping the rare disease community? Funding is an issue because if you ask corporate, they will come and see us. Say, where are your children? We don't have children with us, so they don't see that we need the funds to run a society, a program for them. But we do get, fortunately, programs, funding from university students where they do fundraising programs as part of their community projects, as part of their curriculum. So we have been getting that sort of funding you know, and we are happy with that because we not only create awareness uh, among these youngsters but we are you know, uh, getting the help, their input and get fundraising and we do that throughout almost every year we, we do that and we created the uh, Red Disease Day since 2010 and occasionally we will do each time we have a project, that is how we do the fundraise, uh, get funding. But so far, we have not received funding from the Ministry of Health and then the Ministry because you have to have a project, you have to do something, then it will, the fund will come in, I suppose, to, to, for that sort of thing. But this year, uh, we we are able to do the rare disease um, day activities through the cooperation from the Ministry of Health, the Health Education Education Unit, because they are get, giving us these virtual um, activities, the virtual appearance to radios and TV. But for the real funding, we are we are looking into raising funds. We have also have formed the Nation Red the Red Disease Alliance Foundation, which is supposed to be a bigger a bigger foundation but it's not foundation we we will raise money not to pay for the drugs but more to sustain the activities of our society but yes at the moment we don't have regular income coming in into our activities all right. On that note, we do have to go for a quick break. Do stay on the line. Um, we are marking Rare Disease Day with Dato Hatija Ayob, President of MRDS and Chair of the Rare Disease Alliance Foundation Malaysia, as well as Professor Dr. Tong Miao Kiong, Professor of Pediatrics and Consultant Clinical Geneticist at University Malaya Medical Centre, and he's also advisor to MRDS. When we come back, we'll continue speaking to the both of them, and we will look at the needs of the rare disease community and what sort of policy measures are needed to help them. Stay tuned here on the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9.
Welcome back. It's the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm T. Shaoik with Lim Su and keeping you company today. Uh, we are looking at Rare Disease Day today, which actually falls on Sunday, the 28th of February. Now, before the break, we did a bit of a one-on-one on rare diseases and we started looking at some measures that the government has taken to help the rare disease community. That's right. And now we'll be continuing our conversation with our two guests of the day who are still on the line with us. Dr. Hatija Ayub, President of the Malaysian Rare Disorder Society, as well as Professor Dr. Tong Miao Kyung, Professor of Pediatrics and Consultant Clinical Geneticist at University Malaya Medical Center. So um, thank you. Uh, thanks to both of you for staying on the line with us. So, if, so you've both touched on the challenges when it comes to helping people with rare diseases, particularly issues related to funding. Now, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected the rare disease community. Um, perhaps, Professor, uh, Professor Tong, if you could start, has there been any, uh, has there been a significant impact? Yeah, uh, so from the medical point of view, the uh, patients uh, and individuals with rare conditions uh, and the families basically uh, go through the same process like anybody else at the yeah. beginning. So there's the social isolation, there's a fear. Um, but as time goes by, uh, we've begin to see a certain pattern. So, for example, there are some of these rare conditions may be at high risk. Not all. Uh, some some of them, for example, those with immune deficiency or they have a neuromuscular conditions. Those those are obviously at higher risk. So those will need special care. But what happens is that because of this perceived fear, a lot of these patients are reluctant to go to hospital. So they would have delayed in some of the treatment. And sometimes uh, there are issues with their medications. So we have to keep educating them and, and informing them that, you know, the hospital are still open. We have practiced uh, all those usual SOPs to make sure that everybody's safe. So you find that we are sort of spreading out the appointments uh, so that you don't have to wait too long and we try to keep everything short and so on. So in terms of the medical side, I think we have tried to minimize the impact. But some of these other impacts are diff- difficult for us to control. For example, uh, their education and schooling. All right. Okay. So obviously, you know, they, they would need special education, for example. Uh, so those obviously will be affected. Those who need rehabilitation, uh, will also be affected somewhat. And of course, the majority of these families are from B40s that we see in public hospitals. So they also had reduced uh, income. And that also has an impact on, on the family and the siblings as well. Uh, Dato, maybe you have something else to add on that? Yeah, um, basically most of them during our survey, some of them choose not to come because they're so scared of getting infected because, you know, their children are babies, I mean, youngsters, they're low immunity. But otherwise, I think some of them, they are very much contacting each other through their social media. And in fact, even the youth are chatting with themselves. So it, it is all depend on the on the societies because the chat group, the social media is there. We are hoping that they are in the in the, in the right frame of mind always and um, at the same time you know we are also monitoring we are planning to to provide them food basket for our rare disease patient that is all over the place right and uh, hopefully you should be uh, able at least to keep them uh, in the in the loop and to know that we are still here to help them 
Now, the government has already started rolling out the National Immunisation Programme for COVID-19. Um, will vaccinations be a significant game-changer for Malaysians with rare diseases? I mean, many of them affected by rare diseases are children, so considering that kids can't get vaccination, what, what uh, can't get vaccinated for COVID-19, that is, what's the importance of ensuring that people around them get the vaccines? First of all, I think the government has... Uh done a good job in terms of trying to get a vaccine for everyone. But they have sort of said that they only vaccinate people above 18 years old. Uh, and that's partly the reason. The reason for that partly is because the, there's not much trials or study has been done for children. So they had sort of opted to uh, say deferred that and be focused on the high-risk group. But having said that, the caregivers, like parents, uh, grandparents, for example, they themselves may be high-risk groups. And they may contract the COVID, uh, and therefore, uh, in that in that situation, to protect the whole family, and as a family unit, you know, if there's a weak chain in one of them, so if there's one family member infected, there's a chance that the whole family, the whole family, might be infected. So on that basis, uh, we would sort of recommend that that all the caregivers of rare rare conditions should be given priority uh, to be vaccinated. Uh, at, a, at the same group as probably, you know, maybe the second phase, for example, after the frontliners. That, that's my opinion. Yeah, yes. I think uh, we have had a letter published in the Star about, you know, giving our care, caregivers uh, an opportunity to come be considered. So I hope that it's being picked up by the government. And I, I also, also the patient group are writing, letting they be sending a letter for requesting for the caregiver to be considered. Hmm. Um, Professor Tong, what ha- what initiatives has the uh, have the government has the government implemented so far to help Malaysians with rare diseases? You know, we are we understand that the national framework for rare diseases is one of them, and that it is a significant step forward. As far as the government is concerned, um, I think they had been uh, listening to the community way back in the early two thousand when we first initiated some of this uh, dialogue with the government of the day. And we have been successful, for example, uh, in getting the government to initiate payment for certain drugs. For example, like lysosomal storage disease, uh, there's a treatment called enzyme replacement therapy, which are very expensive. But the government has actually agreed, you know, started annual allocation for that. And that has helped dozens of patients over the years. Unfortunately, the amount of allocation has not kept up to the number of patients that have increased. And also bearing in mind that some of these patients are surviving. The survivors are growing up. Therefore, the body size and the weight increase. So the dose of the drugs also increase. So it's very hard to catch up with these increased requirements over the years. So what we have done is therefore work on these issues on funding, for example. Uh, And as far back as 2013, uh, the Ministry of Health and uh, the Malaysian Rare Disorder Society, for example, had a national conference for rare diseases. And in, in that, they had uh, developed a rare disease plan. Uh, and that had been quite a success in the sense that many of these ideas that was generated has been implemented, uh, trying to set up a national uh, framework, getting some strategic uh, plans going. But there are still a lot of these uh, uh, ideas that need to be implemented so that uh, all those steps that we mentioned can be safeguarded in the long term for the future. 
uh, we do not wish uh, for anyone to be left out. We want equity of care. Everyone who needs uh, treatment for a rare condition should get the funding uh, so that it's not on an ad hoc basis. So on that uh, note, I think the national framework has been uh, a big step ahead uh, because it, it implies that the government has uh, taken a serious note of it. Okay, I can just read the goals of the rare disease framework to clearly define rare disease that has been done. To improve the list of the rare disease in Malaysia, I think has been done. Now we have, we have about 400 rare disease. And then to improve on the ability of diagnosis, that is one to be done. So to just acknowledge, we have to get data. So today there's a meeting with the, the committee on the how to, to start compiling data because rare disease data is not available for sale. And then to improve the management of rare diseases, so that we have to come with a guideline to improve and sustain accessible, sustainable access to orphan drugs, to strengthen prenatal diagnosis and newborn screening, to ensure the legislation regulation is in place, and to promote innovative research. So there has been the the, the goal of the rare disease framework in Malaysia. Last month, the pharmacy group was talking about the drug cost. They're trying to get drugs available at similar price, whether you are being treated in the private or in the public hospital. So, you know, last year, the organisation Ideas urged the government to allocate funds to help people with rare diseases, specifically to establish a trust fund of sorts to help cover the cost of orphan drugs and, um, and, and similar things like that. But there's been no allocation for such a purpose in Budget 2021 or, you know, not explicitly at least. So are you aware of any plans to follow up with the government on this proposal? And where does this gap leave the rare disease community? Um, and perhaps, Dato, you, may take, you could take this on first? Okay. At the ideas meeting, uh, initially uh, the Rare Disease Alliance Foundation were asked to look into the trust funds. But we said in our constitution, we have stated that we are not going, uh, we are not responsible for the funding for medication. The funds that we raise is only for running uh, the uh, the foundation, helping with research, training, and all the other other affairs. But money received, if there is, we can always uh, help to give towards the cost of drugs. So that was the last meeting that we had. And that was the last decision. So we will not be able, even Ideas had an interview with us. They did say that we are not capable of handling that. Because it's a big issue. We don't have the expertise. We don't have the resources. So that is the situation. But I don't know whether the ministry is looking into it and packing it with MOH. I, I don't know what module uh, it is going to be. Yeah, I just want to add something about this uh, statement that you made about no allocation for such purpose in budget 2021. Now, as far as I know, uh, the patients continue to receive treatment uh, in 2021. So perhaps the, the way that is worded uh, in the budget may not be obvious uh, at first hand to say that there's no uh, allocation. So I think it may have been allocated, but under certain terms, under the uh, Ministry of Health budget. But I must say that uh, the 16.5 million ringgit, which has been allocated the previous years, although it's a life-saving, 
but it is still insufficient for the numbers of patients that we have due to the population increase uh, that we are seeing now. And of course, a large number of conditions that are now treatable. And therefore, we really need to relook again at the allocation that is given because many of these uh, diseases such as uh, spinal muscular atrophy, Duchenne mus uh, muscular dystrophy, and so on, uh, the new products are coming to market and they are life-saving. So I think it is important to uh, relook at the, the numbers again uh, to make sure that uh, the coverage will be uh, increased. The, the second uh, thing about the, the budget is that uh, while the budget has been allocated, uh, it goes mainly to Ministry of Health, uh, which is good, but uh, for the universities, for example, teaching hospitals who also see a lot of uh, patients with rare conditions. And we also teach uh, medical students, specialists, uh, pharmacists, allied health science, uh, counsellors, and so on. Uh, without a budget under the Ministry of Education, for example, to treat rare diseases, which runs the university hospitals, I think we would also have a problem in the long term because uh, newly qualified doctors <laughs> and specialists may not have the exposure to rare diseases. And that is a serious uh, uh, national problem because uh, we need our doctors and all the allied health science staff, nurses, uh, counselors to be aware and know how to treat this condition early before all the complications uh, set in. So I think the budget-wise uh, is important on uh, not just on for the patient, but is in the national interest to get it uh, appropriately uh, allocated and to be uh, dispersed to all the relevant agencies and ministries. And to your knowledge, how are other countries tackling rare diseases? Are there certain approaches that we can also implement here in Malaysia? I think as a democratic country which practices respect for human rights, for example, uh, Malaysian is uh, uh, signing many conventions, for example, you know, United Nations uh, Convention, Rights of the Child, uh, Basic Human Rights. We also subscribe to United Nations, uh, SDG, uh, Sustainable Developmental Goals, uh, and particularly I refer to SDG for the health, SDG 3, which basically all states, at, uh, you know, along with Malaysian Child Act, for example, which says that children must be protected. They must be given all avenues so that they can live a life uh, with dignity, all right? And on that basis alone, okay, the country has to take this seriously and be giving the full attention for all these patients who the majority of them are children, young families, uh, so that they can have a good quality of life. So, and that includes treatment, rehabilitation, testing, as well as, you know, family planning issues and making sure that the whole community, uh, the rare, rare conditions community, do not have to worry about day-to-day -day existence. So it's a basic human right. Nobody asks to be born with a rare condition, right? It's the same like the, you can't determine your gender, right? What disease you're going to have and where you're born into. So it's something that you cannot avoid, you cannot predict, and it can happen to anyone, regardless of race, social economic status, and it can even happen to old people. So all the way from politicians to the public to the educationists to planners, policymakers, please pay attention to this because it's a basic human right. It can happen to anyone. It's an investment 
for future because if you put in the money and the funding now, you avoid all the complications that can happen. In fact, in the long term, you save the country much more finances and you can optimize your citizens' uh, health, basically. From my experience uh, working with other countries, um, Malaysia is one of the countries that we, the government is paying for the health costs for everything. A lot of our registration are getting uh, treatment. You know, in the government hospital, it's free. If you have mafan, you need uh, heart treatment, is all there, as long as the drugs are available in the formulary. Basically, our patients are all getting free treatment in the government hospital. No, and, and it is not happening in many countries. Even in the, our neighboring countries, they have to pay, they have buy insurance. All of them are covered by insurance. This is something that I am a bit worried because now under this new program, we are supposed to come with innovation, innovative funding to help the government to come with affordable price. So when, what does it mean when if, we are waiting for it to come. They are talking to insurance, insurance company. So are we going to get insurance in other countries? They are now buying insurance to pay for their for their medical costs. This is not made known to us yet. So now with a lot of the national and community resources being focused on COVID-19, what are the community's concerns about their priorities being addressed? That's, that's our worry. Yeah, Problem. I think uh, yeah, I think with regards to committee's concern, I think they are very justified. Uh, when, especially when you see the number of retrenchment and uh, closure of businesses, and many families been affected. I think uh, in a large part, the government has done uh, its job. Uh, for example, in stimulating the company and making sure that people stay afloat with uh, you know salary uh, support and so on. However, I think there, there must be a plan for the future. I think as far as a lot of families are concerned, they're worried because their savings are depleted. They, the, the educational processes for their children are impaired and uh, because they can't see uh, beyond what's going to happen this year or next year. So there, there is a need to reassure uh, the whole community that they are not being left behind or overlooked. And that's why we, we need to have some sort of uh, processes that is built in, in into the, for example, the legislation of the country. And, and in many countries, uh, this is just to hang back to the, the statement you, you said about uh, what, what is the international you know, countries uh, doing. Uh, many countries have legislation to protect the rights of this uh, community. For example, they have rare disease and often drug acts. And this would put the power into parliament to decide the allocation uh, specifically for this group of patients so that their rights and what they need will always be protected. So uh, on a last note, how can ordinary Malaysians, you know, uh, those of us who aren't affected by rare diseases, what can we do to help those affected by rare diseases? You know, Malaysians are generally very kind-hearted, generous people. Okay, uh, that's a fact. They worry about the environment. They will fight very hard, you know, to cut down pollution, use of plastic. They worry about animal rights, pets. Uh, they worry about many things and they care for many things. Uh, and rare disease is something that people should now take notice of because it is among us. 
Uh, it is just that they've been hidden. Uh, parents felt ashamed. Families felt isolated and ostracized. So it's time for them to come out to the open and for the, the uh, Malaysians to embrace them that they're part of us. And therefore, we must never ever leave anyone behind because they deserve just as much love and care as anybody else. Yes. And uh, th this is something that we should also uh, emphasize to families, to, you know, when school children, they go, they'll be bullied by the, the school children. You know, those are things that where the ethics of schools and parents should be, you know, highlighted because there have been cases where one of our uh, Redis um, students, you know, he has been bullied and all that stuff, so, and hide it from the, and it has like become like a mental torture to to him. So these are things that we should uh, avoid. And the other thing is, we need uh, services or the able, the professionals and all that to help us, you know, with managing, uh, running, um, training the youth, training the, uh, helping the respite. Because some parents are looking after their child, and they're not able to do much work, so they need a rest. So there's some of them can do with um, a monitoring website, uh, that sort of thing, and doing uh, clinical work projects. You know, we need all that sort of thing. We can't afford to pay, and 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 uh, these are part of CSR uh, services that we need from the public. Yeah, that is what we we need. Uh, we need all those youngsters to come up. So we need the support, yes. If you can give uh, money, you give time. Yes, that's uh, very good advice. We can all contribute our time, if not mm. our money. On that note, Dr. Hatija, Professor Thong, thanks so much for speaking with us today. So that was Dr. Hatija Ayok, President of MRDS and Chair of the Rare Disease Alliance Foundation Malaysia, and Professor Dr. Thong Miao Kiong, Professor of Pediatrics and Consultant Clinical Geneticist at University Malaya Medical Centre. Yeah, and it's quite. A, it was quite a comprehensive um, chat we had with both of them, isn't it? It wasn't because a lot they touched on um, a lot of things when it comes to the rare disease uh, community here in Malaysia. The sustainable funding for offered drugs, especially as you know patients grow older, they might need more medication, or the fact that there are just more people with rare diseases, and then there's also the emotional support and educational awareness aspect of um, of of you know just living with living with rare disease mm -hmm. getting people to talk about it and I guess getting the whole community on board with understanding what it's like for these individuals and their families, like to hear it directly from them as well, because they have been trying to tell their stories. Mm, that's right. And uh, we've been asking you on Twitter, well, we've been running a poll on Twitter. Shall we uh, look at how people have been responding? That's right. So we were asking you, what do you think is most needed to help the rare disease community? Uh, right now, 52% of you say it's more awareness, Seventeen uh, 31% of you, sorry, says it's more funding, while well, 17% of you say it's community support. So, you know, I, I guess a lot of people still see that there is a need for more awareness. And I, I perhaps I understand the the struggle here because, like we said earlier, there are like over 7,000 different rare diseases. So, and counting. Yeah. And counting. So we can't... It, Yes, we can talk about rare diseases as a whole, but there is also that need to talk about each individual individual rare disease. And, you know, that is quite a lot for... Uh, that's a lot that 
people out there may just not know about. Absolutely. Um, like, I, and I don't blame you if you uh, have not been aware of uh, specific rare diseases mm. before this. Um, and that's what rare diseases uh, day, rare disease day, um, which is observed uh, on 28th of February every year. That's what it's here for. Mm. It's to um, just get everyone's attention on these issues, uh, just make some noise on that day. Um, if you'd like to find out more information, um, you know, you can check out the Rare Disease Global website. There's lots of information and leads um, f- uh, that sort of like can lead you on to other specific uh, conditions that you'd like to learn about. Uh, and of course, you can check out um, what the groups are doing here in Malaysia. Uh, that's all the time that we have for the show today. You can continue to tweet us at BFM Radio or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So if you go over to Facebook, look for BFM The Bigger Picture, you can drop us a message over there. Um, do download our podcasts at bfm.my slash daily digest. Uh, if you have our BFM app, it's on there as well or all your other usual podcast platforms. Uh, coming up after 3 o'clock on Live and Learn, uh, we have another episode of Good Things with Hasrul Ashraf and he'll be speaking with two Form 5 students who are the co-founders of an online platform called youths.my. So they'll be talking about how they're engaging young people on social issues that affect everyday Malaysians. This has been the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.